VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Deputy Editor Shirley Lowe. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. This week, it is all about Google I.O. 2022. Google had a very, very long presentation around all sorts Oof. of news, not just gadgets. Sherlyn is tired. Uh, we're also joined with uh, Nathan Ingram from Engadget, uh, Deputy Editor, to chat about all this stuff. Hello, Nate. How are you doing? Hello, guys. How's everyone doing this fine, fine morning? I mean, you seem more chipper than all of us, so I hate you for it, Nate, right now. I've got whoever a lot of stuff off my plate, so I feel a little better today you're, than you're I did good. yesterday. You're good. You got a lot of stuff off your plate. You have a full night's of sleep, you know? Like, you know, you're, you're just, like, carefree over Published here. Published five things yesterday, so. Wow. <laughs> love it, love it. And, yeah, you were Nate also uh, talked with Sonos about a lot of their new stuff, so we're going to be diving into all that. As always, if you're enjoying the Engadget podcast, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's super helpful. We typically record live on Thursday mornings around 10 a.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel. Join us there. Uh, it's a fun time. You get to hear some banter. You hear some behind-the-scenes stuff. And we do some Q&A, too. So if we happen to have devices on hand, you'll actually get to see them before our reviews goes up. So that's usually fun. Stay tuned for that. Google I.O., I feel like every year um, we dread the big events, right? The big events mean a ton of news. It means we have to talk to these companies about a lot of things and just juggle so many things all at once, new devices to review and everything. Google I.O. 2022, what did it mean, Sherlyn and Nate? Like, what, what, what's your overall takeaway from this thing? I have had this question asked of me a lot in the last few hours <laughs> or in the hours after IO. And it was very much like when I had time to sit down and think about it. I I think barring the surprise, which was the return of, you know, basically Google Glass, I was very underwhelmed. I mean, like, look, we knew we were going to see a lot of machine learning flexing. We're, we knew we were going to see a lot of like search stuff and like probably some of the pixel hardware. And we did get all of that. And I just wasn't blown away yet by anything. Um, one of our YouTube chat pers- uh, viewers pointed out that like it seemed like it was mostly about translation, um, which is not a bad thing. But then like, is that it? You know? So anyway, uh, Nate, what do you, know. you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that like the amount of focus they put on hardware for a developer event was surprising to me. Um, yeah. I like how they're teasing hardware stuff like the Pixel 7 and the Pixel Watch ahead of time. Uh it's interesting. They did this, I think, a little bit last year. They, they did an early drop of the Pixel 6. Like, they showed some renders and said it was coming. Yeah, they showed the know. Tensor first, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I like that they're doing that because it kind of, like, gets ahead of the leakers a bit. Yep, um, yep. So, like, it Absolutely. seems like a smart strategy to me. Um, but, yeah, from the software and, like, other side, the first 90 minutes of the presentation, it felt a little less impactful to the normal person than uh, some yeah. IOs are. Which like, is... Which is fine. This yeah, is a developer okay. conference. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. This isn't meant That's to fine. necessarily sell 
yeah a widget to you right <laughs> as far and as far as like big company developer events go like i feel like apple treats wwdc in a way that's both a consumer product event and also really shiny stuff for developers microsoft i feel like oh my leans god don't you I very like... much on the developer side like it's usually for the past couple of years at least when we were going to build it was Sherlyn and yes. me in yeah. Microsoft's like keynote thing, watching them code on stage. Which, yeah, yeah. You know, more power to you guys. More power to you and learning how the Azure cloud works. But yeah. <laughs> I still have nightmares of like having to code VB.net when I was in my first programmer camp. It was yeah. just gross. Yeah. And I think that's what I was getting flashbacks of anytime mm. they code on stage. CompSci 14 for me, I just, I oh. wanted to, that was the class that made me run away from computer science. So sorry, coders oh. out there. I am, I'm weak. I cannot take it. Uh, but yeah, whereas Microsoft tends to get very technical, I feel like, yeah, Google is balancing both developer stuff. Like, hey, we have these new AI, te AI technologies. We're bringing new stuff to consumers, but they're also like very, very Apple too, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm getting mm -hmm. the Apple sweeping this, the the moving montages, like what our, what our technology means for people. Um, they're kind of balancing it all. Um, and there's some really cool stuff. Like what, what do we have for AI-driven features, right? We have uh, auto summaries for, doc, for Google Docs, which is yep. something they talked about a couple months ago. But yep. using, like, imagine you have a 40 or 50 page document and you're like, I don't, I don't want to read that. I just, I want to just go into this meeting and not do any homework. Um, they can use uh, AI inferencing and uh, language recognition to, uh, to kind of generate a readable summary of the entire document. We need to see this in action. The language tool that's in Doxit is trying to like police your language, basically. Like the thing about helping you. Oh, telling you to sound nicer or something. To sound nicer. Wait, really? And then like, yeah. Is that that's live a thing. now? That's live now. Vice did a really good piece about like, hey, this is broken. <laughs> like, no, yes. I'm just writing normal words and Google's like, no, no, no. Don't be so mean. Uh, somebody wrote motherboard, which is the name of their tech site. And Google's like, don't be so offensive. Don't call somebody a motherboard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's so I think why, Google's though, AI needs some work, yeah. I think that leads in really nicely to what else Google shared on stage, right? Which is the new AI test kitchen app. Um, after in announcing their new like natural language model called Lambda 2, Sundar Pichai was like, we also have this app called AI Test Kitchen. It's meant for us to, or them, to um, test out its models and get feedback, right? Not only from like users, but also from what they were saying was like social scientists and some of the like ethics experts on how to, so then they can help to program not only like ethical AI, but also probably bring in some of these like um, issues that they were facing with some of their other uh, models. I don't, I don't know. And also hearing the stories we are from like Google's AI team and how like they have not been kind to people who bring up issues with AI, with, Google's AI models, like I, I don't know, I don't know. There's some, I, they're bringing some of the stuff to Assistant as well, right? The look and talk features, which we talked a bit about, like the technology yep. behind that a year or so ago, right, Sherlyn? What, what is earlier this year? Yeah, earlier. Look this and year. talk is a combination of of various like nonverbal cues for your Nest smart displays to be able to know when you want to talk to it instead of having to use like your voice to trigger it. So like if it detects you're in the area and you're gazing at it using either its camera or solely the radar <laughs> sensor, it'll be like, "What's up? What's up?" And then like it'll look for you to be saying this something. This could be really be sad aware. and annoying. They should put like a little puppy dog face on your like Google you know Nest Hub to, like. <laughs> Talk to hey, me. Hey, talk hey, to me. Treat? Yeah. You got a treat? You got a command for me? Um, <laughs> oh, my God. 
Oh my gosh, they should build a robot dog. They, they. Anyway. I mean, you know, they're gonna do that. But imagine, like, every time you walk by a Google Assistant, it's just like a pair of eyes, like following you. Like, hey, yeah, <laughs> come on, give me, give me a little something. Uh, I my eyes. Perfect. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a fun feature. It's more like making Google Assistant like less of a less of like this like weird robot in the sky and making it seem more personalized to you, right? It's part of the part of the issue too is that like if you have multiple devices in your home like I do, when you say the hot word, all of them, the wrong one triggers. I can be standing in my kitchen miles away and the one in my living room will be like, sup? I'm just like, no, <laughs> no. no, 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 no. And then so I think this is part of the part of the way to address mm-hmm. that maybe too. That's Your cool. speakers like, really say sup to you that often? Sup. That would be cool. No, just in my head. And then I'll be like, what up, B word? <laughs> Boy. Don't don't swear Word. at your technology. No. The robots are going to rise up and they're going to remember. Gonna, you yeah. them I'm very insulin. nice to them afterwards. I pet them a lot. There's some other things too, like uh, Google Maps is adding an immersive view of major cities, which basically looks like they took like the 3D street view stuff and like turned it into landscape. So there are like shots of London, which looks like it looks like a photo from the sky, like overlooking all of London, except it's Google Map data. Um, that's kind of cool. I think the cooler thing is like they showed stuff inside restaurants, right? Like an immersive view of a restaurant and it uses AI to stitch together photos. So you can basically go in and do like a 3D, uh, 3D, like look around. That's see what this place is like. I was going to say that the immersive view, Apple, believe it or not, has actually had that in their Maps app for a couple of years now. Essentially the same thing. And I was like, man, it's not often they've got like a view that like Google doesn't. So I'm not surprised to see this here, but yeah, it's very cool. And of course, they're like, we're doing it inside and Apple doesn't do that naturally. Doing it inside is kind of huge, especially right now. It's like, I want to, my daughter, Sophia, is very enamored with like, I want to go to a restaurant. I want to sit down. I want to watch people and eat. And it was like, she's such a New Yorker. I mean, that but, sounds uh, great, ideally. But I have to tell her the world's on fire and we cannot safely go into restaurants because you're unvaccinated, kid. Uh, but we can go to like outdoor spaces or like places that have like little patios. So I've been like, when we're looking at restaurants, I, I need to like, do you have an outdoor space? Can we be there safely? Is it not going to be too crowded? Um, maybe a view like this would be really nice to have because people don't always take photos of everything at a restaurant. So that's kind of cool. I think that. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything we've talked about so far, and I'm I'm sure more to come, right? But everything that was kind of unveiled on the software side of IO for me is stuff that just builds upon what's already out there for them. This immersive view thing builds on what they were already doing with indoor spaces and doing with their AR and AI views, and not a, not AI views, mm-hmm. AR and their live views. So I, I that's why I think it felt overall underwhelming to me. Like everything was just built upon something that was already announced earlier. Even look and talk, could, right? So good. yeah, I was just say you could probably say the same about their Google Wallet as a thing again, which like obviously right. <laughs> it has been, but they're just like we're gonna like rejigger this a little bit uh, once again. And because like, we saw that Apple's having such success, maybe I don't know. Yeah, and speaking of Google Wallet too, it's like there's a lot of things like hey, you're just doing everything uh, Apple Pay has now right like uh state ids and everything vax cards and like so much of this event was uh them just basically doing features that apple has had for a while which is yeah. kind of uh but- kind of a thing the pixel buds getting a bunch of like airpods-esque uh find me features and active noise canceling fast switching. you know fast switching yeah. fast switching is like why you would seamless buy switching, yeah. yeah seamless switching is like why you buy airpods if you have ios devices because it's so much easier so it's a lot of catch up for google too and you I, you did not like the the one more thing right Trillin or 
I, I actually didn't mind the one more thing. I do feel like we're sort of wading into the hardware section. So I want to just point yep, out really yep, quick yep. that speaking of Apple, they also didn't hesitate to throw in a shot to be like, yes, our whole show. They didn't even say this part. I'm saying it. Yes, our whole show is about copying Apple. But when it came to RCS, they were very much like, we think every phone maker. And look, I don't, I, lo- I love Google. People at Google know I, I love Google. <laughs> Almost, but I mean, I I think it's funny. I just don't think that in a, a, a keynote where people are observing that much of your features are following in the footsteps of your biggest rival company, that you're also like taking this pot shot at them. It's kind of yeah, weird. Yeah, don't take pot shot. Well, I don't know. Uh, I would rather they lead with like good features. Like they were talking about RCS, right? Which is like the rich text messaging, like the iMessage like features for yeah. Android. And they're like, uh, it would be nice to have interoperability with every platform. That would be nice, but uh, I don't know. Don't be and so also desperate. with end-to-end encryption on RCS, they're they're allowing for that between platforms. I think that I I agree. It's important. <laughs> I'm just like cool. It's cool. Be- before, well, before we do hardware, I was gonna mm-hmm. say one other cool thing I, that yep. I mentioned was uh, open sourcing all their skin tone research. Yes, I think sure. that's super good. That's super good after being the company whose AI model was like the example of bad AI modeling for dark skin tone. So that's something. I guess they've they've been working on this uh, real tone project for a while now, like at least for years that I know of and open sourcing. it I think helps the fact that they worked with this Harvard researcher um, to come up with this scale that apparently is being very well received is good and open sourcing that even better. So I hope I mean, I hope it doesn't mean like they okay, it's open source now. We don't have to do this work anymore. I don't I don't want that. Yeah. that has yeah. been a thing that a lot of companies have done. Like, hey guys, we open source this. It's a, it's up to you now to make this better. I'm like, no, this you're is the your one with tech. all the research or the uh, yeah. resources. You need to you need to keep working on this, and we will build on what you're working on. But you still got to do it's a work, collaboration. So. Yeah. I hope so. I hope, hope that so is too. the thing. Before we get into all the like nitty gritty of the the real devices we're going to be getting, what's up with Google Glass? I feel like that came right at the end. I had to run out, so I didn't see that full part. <laughs> but, uh, it's back. It's back. Gosh, it's, okay. That's that's going too far, if you ask me. I don't mm-hmm. think it's back. it's not. No. Yeah, Nate, you can go ahead, and I I, I can talk. I was about just gonna whatever. say. So, like, what they showed off was a pair of AR glasses, and it seemed to be like tailor made specifically for translation. Right? You could yep. see, uh, you know, it would hear what someone is saying to you in a language and translate it to the language you want and put it on the screen for you, um, which seems pretty cool, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no camera on the device, as far as I can tell, which is, I think, was the probably the biggest pushback to Google Glass, right? Everyone's like, oh, my God, there's a camera on it that you can just, like, turn on at any time. It's a lot of that. Yeah. So I see this as, like, I also missed part of it because I was, like, wrapping up a post or something. And I saw the translation happening on the screen. I saw that there was a person that was using sign language to communicate who said that this was helpful for them. And I think my immediate question was that, like, this is really great for those use cases as someone who, like, is a multilingual person, I can see it being helpful too. But I was worried that like it again leaves out a certain group of people. Like what do we what do we think about people who don't read, who 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 are illiterate in certain languages? Like for example, if someone is like speaks Mandarin but doesn't read Mandarin and then like when you're translating something and I saw an example of someone like putting tr- mandarin characters on the display i was like well not everyone <laughs> i know a lot of my friends speak it but they don't read it so that's not gonna work is there an audio component that plays out back to them that's kind of what i missed from the description of these glasses nate do you know there's a like a speaker i didn't see anything about audio but again it's really like just super early this, yeah. early days yeah. right so yeah 
So I think Google's still working it out. I will say though that like given all the developments lately in like wearable, like uh, in the frames department, right? We've got Echo Frames, we've got like Razer's glasses. Those are more like open ear speaker devices. I think Google looked at that and was like, you know what? We don't need the camera. Like a lot of, there's a lot of ways to make this work. So I like that they removed the camera. I don't think we really need it. It's uh so th- to be clear, this is not Google Glass. This is like next generation AR glasses and that we're seeing this from a lot of companies, like you said, Trillin. So it, to me, it's just interesting to see like these look like normal glasses. Uh, they can give you some cool on-screen display info. The translation hook is a really interesting part, right? Like imagine if you could like take these things and travel the world and get decent translation for like just you, you go to a restaurant or something and simple commands, simple things like to help you navigate things. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I hope this all leads to something. I guess it's Wait. way too early to tell. Mm-hmm. I know. Speaking of early, t- too early to tell, like one of the things we would need to know too is how much they would cost. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and not anything- clear if this is going to be like a consumer focused thing. I could see this being really useful for like people in certain industries or like in certain work situations, right? But I don't know if this is the kind of thing they expect to get, you know, wide consumer adoption. And again, obviously, super early, so they probably don't even know. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's basically what HoloLens has been doing for a while, too, is like purely like uh, enterprise work, business work. It's barely a consumer product. And Microsoft is just just leading into the business side of things. I am waiting to see like who who is going to make the good stuff, the good consumer stuff. Facebook is taking a real push. I have those sunglasses somewhere, the Ray-Ban sunglasses, and I have not put them on since I tested them because they're not polarized. Don't sell me Ray-Ban don't sell me good. Don't sell me sunglasses that aren't polarized, guys. Sorry, I I like the good stuff. Um, so I, all these companies are trying different things. It'll be interesting to see what Google does we'll here. Mm-hmm. So in five years, you know, we will probably have effective AR glasses from like Apple and Google and everybody. Like, are you guys looking forward to this thing that's going to be coming, or are you already dreading it? Because we're we're surrounded by notifications. I also kind of just want to turn off. I still instead don't of, like seeing more. I still know? don't know quite what the like killer app use cases here like i don't know what would make me compelled to like actually go in on this yet nobody has quite explained that i i see from this stream nate that you're a glasses wearer uh one of our youtube uh audience members brian uh, buddy 305 love said it is the the glasses would be cool if you already wear glasses or don't already wear glasses that's the thing right and it's like I don't currently wear glasses. So when you talk about a compelling use case, it would be, need to be extra compelling for, sure. for me Absolutely sure. mm-hmm. to put them on. Um, yeah. But you know what I say to people who don't wear glasses? Uh, I, I don't care. I don't care. I've had to live with these things my entire life. Yeah, so let's make them you. fun. Good for you. Good eyes. What? I laser the heck out of them. Come on. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> That's fun. I might yeah. do that someday. Um, but you're right. That That is a good use case. I mean, uh, glasses have become kind of a fashion thing among, yep. you know, the hipster the folks. Light, like, yeah. And the blue light stuff, but also I know I know people with good eyes who just wear like frames to like give them a look. I feel you like, know, like those people should be punched lunch. in the face. <laughs> <laughs> now the glasses wearers are in charge. Now oh, we no. can bully you all. Yes, exactly. Can I, I unlaser my... my eyes? <laughs> unlaser well, them? No, you're faking it. <laughs> yep. Let's move on to like some some of the hard like some of the news the actual stuff that is coming from Google this year Android thirteen real quick it's it's more Android I guess yeah Fam, we don't even <laughs> I don't think we no. heard anything new from Android thirteen yesterday more, honestly uh, wait let me let me give you the themes of Android thirteen enabling you to do more with your phone at the center but also 
your phone not at the center. Also, extending your phone beyond to watches, tablets, and more. But also, but also making all of your all of your devices work better together. Which t- those points don't really complement each other. So make better. Make Android more good. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Do that. It didn't seem like there's um, a super killer feature set that'll like differentiate 13 from 12. And that mm-hmm. happens sometimes. And again, like it's a developer event. That's fine. If they're going to make things work faster, smoother, et cetera, that's, that's all good. Um, 12 was a big design jump too, yes. right? So there's that. Yep. Yeah. So, so from my understanding, I, I do think that there's more coming to Android 13 that we haven't seen. It might not be announced today. It might be like closer to the fall pixel seven launch event, which we heard about uh, yesterday. Um, I think that based on this preview of Android 13, nothing nothing seemed new except for like maybe Google <laughs> Wallet or whatever. But then yeah. the the thing you were talking about, that principle that they're working on, which like, oh, for your phone and then, oh, for all these other things and then, oh, for the entire world around you. This is something that Google and so many other companies have been talking about for a long time, ambient computing and like making everything work with each other. This is the world we're marching relentlessly toward. And I I think Google talking about these things tells me that like, Android might not be the OS like that powers all of these things, but it is an important component of it and might serve as like the headquarter, like brain space. I don't know. You know what I mean? That, like, does that make any sense? No, I hear you. I mean, they talked about, is it matter? <laughs> you said no. Yeah, I was like, it, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, it does make sense because like they talked about, is it matter? Is the IoT service too? So that's kind of like being baked into it. And Hey guys, like we we all want ambient computing. Like my favorite, uh, the smart home has really stunk for the past decade, right? And it's only getting better now when like I can walk into my house and like, hey, my my door camera, I could just pull it up easily. Um, I could pull up my home cameras on my TV because they work with HomeKit, you know. So Matter should make things more interoperable. That'd be kind of nice. Um, yeah, I, I feel I like that's it. Are the tablet updates part? That's part of Android thirteen. More tablet stuff. And that's all neat. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So they talked about, and this is something we've well, going rewinding a little bit. Uh, Google in 2019 said they weren't gonna make tablet hardware anymore after the Chrome OS Pixel Slate was a big bust. Uh there Which was a terrible idea. What are you doing? Chrome OS? Okay. They're reversing course on that. They're going to make new tablet hardware next year. Apparently, they're going to take a whole, you know, the better part of a year to get year. it out there. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's nothing, no details on it, except that it's going to be like a large, larger screen, premium sort of device, an iPad-ish device. Did they give a name? Is it Pixel, Pixel Slate or Pixel, Pixel Tablet? Tablet. Pixel, Pixel Tablet. Pixel Tablet. Which, it it just looks like the Nest screen. It just it looks, looks like, like they ripped the it off. Yep. Yeah, they ripped it off. What You need a year to prepare that, guys? I don't... I just, I have been really angry with the way Google has handled tablets because I was really into Android tablets when they first launched, you know, like they were cheap. Uh, they were, they were more accessible than the iPad early on. And then Apple has just made the the iPad like cheaper and more capable. Right. And Google's like, I don't know about these tablets, you guys. Like, I don't know how to build, I don't know how to make software for tablets. I don't know how to, you know, produce them. And it, they really left up to Samsung and Amazon to like really take over the Android tablet And they've market. done a decent job yeah. of that, I would say. Um, Those two companies, yeah, nobody else. Nobody yeah. else. Um, but they did talk about, um, from the software side of things, well, the knock on Android tablets has always been, right, that the software is not optimized. It's just like big phone interfaces blown up for a big screen. looks like garbage. Uh, Google said that they're going to make 
about 20 of their apps optimized for big screens. So they're leading the way there, which I think is smart. And they also mentioned huge partners like Facebook, TikTok, and Zoom, who are also redesigning their apps to work on larger screens. So between Google and then those dev developers, go ahead, Sherlyn. By Facebook, do you mean Instagram? <laughs> no, they only sp- they specifically said Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... You know what, guys? Uh, the iPad launched in 2010, and Apple just started you, showing a real, you real focus do this, on tablet Devendra. apps. You- <laughs> it is now the year of our, you know, Lord 2022, and Google's like, "Ha! Huh, imagine that tablet apps. Let's do some tablet apps, everybody." But like, um, they used to have decent tablet apps. Like, they were one of the few developers that made things work for better for larger screens. They just uh, kind of blew them up. Was it was anything ever really optimized for Android I tablets? Feel like some of them were. I used I used it for a little bit just to like get a sense of what was going on, and they like weren't like well. They used like there'd be like two column views. Yeah, column sure. Views. Yeah, I used Android tablets for years. I remember the Nexus Seven. I was really into that bad boy. Uh, Asus had some because uh, Asus made that one, so Asus had some like cool small tablets for a while. Yeah, the uh, Seven the was good t- because it was small mm-hmm. enough that it was okay that the apps were just blown up, right? <laughs> exactly. Like it was a slight, it was basically a bigger phone, but it was fine. It was perfectly fine and usable. Samsung's original Galaxy Tabs, uh, the Tab S, like once they started putting OLED into everything, it was like. Those are beautiful looking screens. And then, yeah, I felt like Google has let us all down. Hopefully, I'm hoping, I'm going to be hopeful here that in 2023, 13 years after the iPad launched, uh, Google's going to be like, hey, tablet tablets are a good idea. Let's make some more tablets. They, they said that people want this, um, which I guess is, <laughs> no, that's, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, the interesting thing that. is, so I'm like, do doing? they though? Like, I, know, I wouldn't have expected it. I'd be like, I didn't think anyone cared if there weren't Android tablets anymore, but uh Hey, more competition is better. So I wonder if maybe they were looking over on the iPad side of things and they're like, oh, okay, those are selling a little bit. I don't know if they've been paying attention <laughs> to the earnings or not because they're actually not like uh-huh, they're kind of uh-huh. on and off. But um, it, it, to point out to um, not to keep bringing in our, our YouTube chat too much, but there's two good comments on there. One is that um, Buddy305Love was like, haha, Android L is about to show iPad OS how it's done. LOL. You very optimistic, buddy. Okay. And then yeah, Ruindig, <laughs> Ruindig was like, um, somebody uh, said that the Pixel tablet with the white bezel is out of date. Um yeah, I don't I don't really know what's what's going on with that design over there and with the iPad already being bezel-less more or less. It's like Well, it depends. Again, like the, yeah. the base iPad is not bezel-less. It has a big thing. If you go iPad right, Air, right. then you have like a nice really a nice premium go to iPad yeah. Pro that's more premium. It is just funny to me that Google's basically still trying to figure out like how do I how do I make a basic tablet, you guys? Like it's just yeah. them wandering around the street. Like, guys, tablets, well, how do they what? work? From a hardware <laughs> how pers- do they work? From a hardware perspective, the Pixel Slate was actually really, really nice. Yes. So, like, sure. if they could just release that I, again, and it would be fine. Yeah, if only, if only they didn't saddle it with garbage software. Dev, don't forget, like, hardware site, like, Google did make the Pixel Slate, those really expensive uh, Pixel Slate, Pixel Chromebook, the Pix- original Pixel books. Like, they're, they're good at making really ridiculously expensive hardware with that really nobody atrocious wants to use. software yeah. sometimes, yes. But yeah, I will yeah. say, with them having slapped the Pixel branding on this tablet, I think that's what we're expecting, right? Like, a maybe not base-level hardware, but as as the perfect so-called, like, their their way of putting it has been, like, their Pixel devices have been their canvas for their, their ideal expression, so-called, of Android, a.k.a. Pixel UI. So I'm actually more interested in seeing what Pixel UI looks like on a tablet. Yeah, um, and there's going to be lots of Pixel links. I think there's going to be a lot of links between 
like they talked yeah. a lot about all these devices working well together. So I'll be interested to see like how they make that happen. Mm-hmm. You know what, you know what people, people are really getting into tablets now. It's like I bought my mom and dad a base iPad and now they take it everywhere. They use it all the time. Like they never actually use the gifts. I get them, but that's <laughs> one thing they're like, wow. Huh, yes. Okay. Like, yeah. I can FaceTime my grandchildren and they look bigger. And it's easier for me to read because I, yeah. it's a big screen. So it turns out yeah. there are a lot of use cases for that. Um, the Pixel, the Pixel tablet right now looks fine, but I would love to see like a smaller one, like a, like an eight or the something. Minis, yeah, the minis and like go, let's go hard. Google's like, you know, we're doing a lot of great software for foldable phones. You're not responsible for any of those foldable phones, right? You guys are lucky that Samsung is so desperate for attention that they're using Android to build, you know, foldable phones. But go, go, give us a straight up foldable tablet, Google. Like, go do something new. You just reminded me that I had a dream that I was saddled with a Samsung foldable phone last night. And, uh huh. Oh, Nate. So janky. Aww. Aww. <laughs> this is what we dream about. It's very, oh, no. very sad. That's it's so like sad. in my head. Wait, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't. Do you mind if I move away from Pixel tablet no, because going, there was so much weird Pixel? Okay, weird is the wrong word, but so much Pixel hardware announced, even though not all of them are coming um, that soon, right? I mean, for the Pixel Six A and the Pixel Buds Pro, those were the two actual devices that were launched yesterday um, with availability in July. So July twenty first pre order and July twenty eighth actual availability, and then they also confirmed for us. They were like. Hey, we know you're thinking about it already. Plus, also, there's a shit ton of leaks. So here's the Pixel Watch and the Pixel 7s. Like, have at it um, without actually giving us too much detail um, about those latter two. I I mean, I just wanted to start with that caveat, right? Most of these things, especially the Watch and the 7s, are not coming yet. They're, there's more details to be had. But I'm sure you have thoughts, Dev, on the Pixel 6a. Let's start with the stuff that we know is coming soon. Yes, we know it's coming, and we have a price. Because my thing is, like, we know we we all know what an A series phone is, right? It is last year's hardware at a much cheaper price, and that is the Pixel 6a. It's a mid-range phone. Uh, it's going to be selling for 449. Uh, but the most important thing is that it looks like the Pixel 6. It kind of kept that two-tone design, and uh, it's going to have the full Tensor chip. The full Tensor chip. They're not they're not like slimming it down or anything like that makes sense because they've been building it for a year so it's like just keep building it it's cheaper to make now you could put in a cheaper device uh this thing seems cool like i think the pixel 5a kind of disappointed us because it was basically the pixel 4a 5g and it's all getting really confusing like it was basically that again um whereas this is like hey new design uh give me a good chip uh has a smaller screen than the pixel 5a does uh, so it's actually it's actually a little more compact and handheld, which I'm sure some people would appreciate. They say it's about the size of the Pixel 5, which is pretty pretty well-sized. Um, I, I feel like this is a good mid-range phone. I have nothing to complain about here. Like This is what Google should be focusing on, is making accessible hardware with their new tech. Like This is something I don't think Apple could do super easily, but what's up, Sherlyn? Oh, no, I was going to say mm-hmm. I have things to complain about. <laughs> go, go for it, go for it. Of course you I, do. Uh, I, I don't think they're using the same sensors on the camera as they are on the Pixel 6. They're, that's one thing. And cheaper then they're sensors, also, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, cheaper sensors. So not sure, but, you know, Google's photography algorithms have been good, so maybe not a big problem. But then the um, one thing is they don't have a headphone jack, so... That's sad, but they didn't have it on the 5A either. They just didn't bring it back. And then the uh, in-display fingerprint sensor. Just in like... Okay. I 
I, I'm not sure if they've improved it. I know that on the Pixel 6 Pro, it's gotten like, it's uh, it's polarizing. Some people actually find that it's okay and some people hate it. Like I was in an airplane for my trip to Microsoft next to a man who actually means the Pixel 6 Pro. I was like, cool. Um, and then he was like, yeah, I hate the fingerprints. I was like, yes, <laughs> someone else feels me on this. So yeah. Um, so I mean, that's my disappointment that in this place. Every, every authentication solution is kind of bad right now, right? Like Face ID, bad with masks and you can't wear it with a mask right. and sunglasses. Exactly. Like Face ID, well, bad. Fingerprint sensors on the back, kind of bad because it messes up the back design of a phone. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. It's the, the front, the front, in screen, the fingerprint sensors are fine on Samsung and OnePlus phones. They're so meh. So Google's What's, got some uh, There's a way to there. do it fine. What's yeah. up there, Google? But I mean, overall, four forty nine for a phone with this power, like, goodbye. And you're gonna get five years of software updates. So, hey, Pixel Six A, good. I also this like from a design. <laughs> phones, good I like from a design perspective that, like, somebody on Twitter, I think it was Renee Ritchie, mentioned that like every Pixel phone has had a different design for the last like four years. Like they completely throw out what they did the previous year and make a new phone. And this year, the Pixel Six A and the Seven both are reminiscent of the six. So like they're picking sure, a design sure. language. They're the seven has with like it, metal accents. It. Yeah. But yeah. it like well, looks very much like a, like phones from the same family. Whereas like, well, but the four to the five wasn't that big a leap though. Right. Yeah, but the, the four, four was, was, one just the, was one of the most boring phones you've ever seen. Yeah, exactly. The five was just incredibly, bo- I maybe just blanked on the five, right? Because it looks so boring, but it, it was very similar to the four in, in the, in shape. I guess. Damn. Anyway, but no, the 7 does look very similar. Yes. It does. I mean, they're going for a thing. Like, I think the thing is, like, you see somebody, like, on the subway or walking down the street holding up a phone. Pixel phone. You can tell from, like, 20 20 feet away, you know, they were using a Pixel phone. So I think that's the sort of iconic thing Google's going for. I also know a lot of people don't like this two-tone thing. So, you know, you know. I like it. There's no accounting for taste. Damn, that's that's strong words this morning, Nate. But I will say, like, yes, uh, easy to recognize Pixel phones until people put them in a case. Because I was like, on again, on this one airplane trip, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, there's a Pixel Six next to me. Cool. I thought I was like, is that a Samsung? But then no, he was like, he he actually had to correct me. He was like, uh, no, it's a Pixel Six Pro. And then he showed me the camera bar. I was like, God. I'm so bad yeah. at my job. Then, then you're going to um, be like, I know, I review them for a living. Okay. Oh, no. Then I was like, oh, look at mine. And it was just, <laughs> no, you, for the record. Yeah. What did uh, you Pixel have? 6 Pro and an iPhone just for work. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Just for work. Sad, sad. Hey. We've got some other devices to talk yes. about here. Real quick, real quick. Um, you mentioned the Pixel Watch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when did the Apple Watch launch, guys? It was, was first like released in the spring of 2015. Okay. Dev, so, Dev, I yeah. would like to bring you back to the year 2014 or 15, okay? Uh-huh. I when remember. Wear, I was OS, there. Wear OS debuted, okay? And Google was like, look at this thing. And Moto was there and was like, on a round face. And I was People like... People were captivated by it. Uh, we were mesmerized. Yeah. It was lovely. Was really cool. So it's all been Wear OS, since then. What is it like eight, five, seven years down the road now? They're like, hey, Wear OS, we're still the same. And I am no longer mesmerized. Yeah. Um, there, which is there very is, sad. This thing can, like, looks kind of blocky, almost like a like scuba diving watch or something. Like it's big and hefty. I don't hate the design. It's just like, guys, what have you been doing for so long? For so long. I hope, uh, I hope the software is better. I hope they can like get the third party apps going. 
something. Like, what do you guys want out of a Pixel Watch? Because you're Google users mainly, right? I've been asked this before. I would mm-hmm. like to see what this deeper Fitbit integration means. I realized right, right, that right. during our briefing, I realized what um, the difficulty in fully integrating Fitbit software into Wear OS, I realized what that was. It is that a while ago, I think when when Google announced the Fitbit acquisition, it committed to not storing Fitbit data on its own like servers like it's going to keep that separation so fitbit like your biometric data stored with your fitbit tracking apps um and tracking devices won't be um combined with google what google knows and so if they wanted to do deeper system-wide integration of that stuff with like fitbit's help and, and algorithms and stuff like that that might be why it's so tricky because the way they're introducing it into wear os now with their fitbit acquisition fully completed is to be like here's a fitbit app and I was like, I don't want, and I want like background running of yeah. like these yeah. activity tracking things, like constant. How long ago did they buy a Fitbit? How many well, years? Well, it took a long yeah. time for the merger yeah. to complete. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wish this was like the perfect Android watch, you know, like the perfect one if you want both health tracking and good notifications and everything. Um, it I, I, so, it's taken so long to get us a basic watch. Yeah. I know. I'm sad. I don't know. Look, look, we haven't seen this in the real world ourselves. We saw it on Rick Osterloh's wrist. We saw it on stage. Um, and we know the general shape. I, I do think it's cool that like Google is coming ahead of the leaks and being like, hey, we, we're not ready to fully announce it, but we're going to confirm it so y'all can chill. I know. But, like, So here's my conspiracy theory, guys, because okay. I'm sure you talked about the the watch that was left at a bar. Yes, I'm sure some sad Google engineer was like, you know, guys. You know, you know what's even better than announcing a product uh, for getting it at the bar, leaving it at a bar, and somebody didn't they have it for like weeks? Four weeks. Were like, yeah. what, what the hell is this? Like, there was no excitement. The person who took it, no excitement, no recognition for like, hey, this is a next generation Pixel Watch, everybody. Oh my god, it sat in the drawer for a couple months, and it was like, <laughs> not a couple months. They, a they, couple weeks. Yeah. The story is I read the Reddit AMA for with the person who actually found the the watch and said that they handed it off to a bartender and then the bartender was the one who decided to call it into like whichever Android blog it was. And um I think maybe like someone had to tell them that this was worth some interest to and I was just like God, if this was an iPhone y'all would be tripping I bet, over yourself. I bet this is a play like uh, it, some engineers like hey, guys uh, let's let's get people buzzing about the Pixel Watch you know leave it at a bar everyone's going to be speculating is it real or is it not and uh, it is funny to me how there's this like collective meh around both receiving the the leaked device and uh, getting it out there were people even excited like once the leaks uh, started being written about like uh, I don't know there was a little, I mean cuz it's been rumored for so long that there was a little yeah. bit of buzz about it like yeah. actually being confirmed but yeah it's been a pixel watch has been like a thing for like 2 years that we've been talking about it uh, mm-hmm. longer mm-hmm. than yeah. that almost uh, I feel like since before longer. at my before I joined in gadget they were talking no. about a rumored pixel watch no yeah. no I feel That's like cray cray I maybe since Wear OS was announced. That was my old job. And then yeah, yeah. <laughs> afterwards, kind of the yeah. Thing. All right. So finally, finally, Pixel Buds Pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apple basically made the AirPods Pro. Or Google basically made the AirPods Pro, right? I, I don't know. Yes. I have more hope. 
Well, okay, sure. It's not a bad thing. I, I don't. It's not a bad make thing. It, make a table of AirPods Pro features and Pixel Buds Pro features. It's more. I think the it's Air, almost one to uh, one. Yeah. The the design is kind of different from at least my understanding. Yes. Yes. Right. So yeah, yeah, that's what I like about the Buds Pro is the design mm-hmm. looks mm-hmm. better to me. Also, really good battery life. Supposedly, we'll see how that 11, how that yeah. that uh plays out. But um, AirPods Pro are. Got two and a half years old now, I think. So yeah. you got to figure they've got a new one in the pipeline uh, for Probably. this summer or fall. So I mean, so and secretly the Beats Fit Pro are the Apple ones you should be getting, everybody, because those rule and the, yeah, yeah, they work. They work a little better, even though they have a worse case. But yeah, uh, Pixel Buds Pro, uh, what, what they got? Active ANC. noise yeah. cancellation. Uh, find Find Me. It can it can make noises when you when you lose them. Um, fast syncing, basically the entire table of AirPods Pro features, right? Kind of there, except more, except more things. So that's kind of cool, I guess. Is yeah. it like touch controls too, right? Like, because if I'm not wrong, the AirPods Pro are like you squeeze the thing. That's correct. Or that's yes. the AirPods. Right. Okay, cool. So like, so I, I prefer the touch surface interaction for the buds. Um, but I wonder how that works with, yeah, exactly. Like wind, anytime wind touches any of my like earbuds, they're, they're dead. That's it. So we'll that's see. That's it. That's it. I like the the squeezing because it does kind of avoid the you can't control you can't go back and forward. Well, you could go forward with AirPods, but you can't like control volume and stuff. So it's like that's what Siri's for, yo. Yeah, that's what Siri's <laughs> oh, for. Right. That's what Google Assistant's for. <laughs> but like anytime you start doing touch and it's not like an actual like big thing, I feel like it's messy. Uh, Sony does a lot of touch uh, controls on their stuff, and I love Sony, but those things don't work as well. So anyway, are you guys excited for the you. Pixel Buds Pro? I think it's a good I think it's a good product for them to have because they had like the Pixel Buds second generation, which like were a little fancier than the Pixel Buds A series, but those didn't last very long, so they've only had like a budget, relatively speaking, budget option. So I'll be curious to see if they can do something good with um, you know, at this price point for sure. Yeah. I'm just excited to for just like new buds because the Pixel Buds A series that I have are just doing the awful thing where they either just won't charge in the case or they're just not syncing or they're not staying connected. It's just a crapshoot. So I, I want to see how these do. Hopeful, hopefully they're better. I ran my AirPods Pro through the laundry a few weeks ago. <laughs> Still uh, good, right? No. No? No. I, I did it a couple of times. I've, I've done it yeah. with, um. I did it a couple of years ago with an old pair of AirPods or AirPods and they still worked. But one of them, the audio quality is severely compromised. So I, I think, think they have done. really finicky microphones. So I got AirPods Pro a couple of years ago and I think they got wet at some point And now it's like a little bit of crackling if you turn on noise canceling, like some stuff. So, hey, guys, the, these things are not foolproof. Uh, they are tiny, tiny little computers in your ears. So it's a miracle they kind of work at all. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing these things. Anything else you guys want to mention from Google I.O.? It, it, like broader takeaways, like now that we have everything. Still kind of boring, kind of what you expected. Is it like a big step forward for Google in any way? It felt very iterative to me, which is fine. Again, which is fine. As we said, these aren't things meant to be like, oh, my God, we just reinvented the, you know, the wheel here. Uh, it's just, yeah, it was it was a good event. It was long, a little longer than <laughs> I'd like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But iterative yeah. is a good word. I, I agree with that. Like, I think underwhelming was my first word for it, but I think iterative is actually a better description um, because the things that we actually might be more curious about just aren't things that they were actually launching at the show. Things like the Pixel Watch or even the Google, not AR glass, but like glasses type of thing. So we'll see. Everything else is just like, 
Great. We're, we're still in the middle of the pandemic, too. So it's like it's hard to do anything right now, especially for a company like this that may have relied on people being together and you know working on well, products. Yeah, it was it was really um, yeah, yeah. seeing the audience yeah. there was like a kind of shocking moment to me, to be honest. I've been so used to I've been so used to like just seeing the blank empty stage that I was like, oh, yeah. damn, they're like at least it's an outdoor auditorium. Yeah. Right? So it's like yeah. they, they can get away with a lot of that. But I was still like icked out watching a lot of people in masks there i'm just more talking about like making these things you know it's like it is easier to make a device when you can get in a room with people and design together and build prototypes and whatnot so i, I i'm not going to be too harsh on any company at this point because it's it's amazing like we we can keep going as a society and i hopefully hopefully we can just keep going Stay tuned for our reviews of this Google stuff coming soon. I assume not Pixel so 6A. soon. I don't think I Pixel Six A would be soon. I mean, it's more July? than two, two more than two months July. away. So God. yeah, not too hey, soon. Well, stay Start tuned. reviewing Sherlin. Start <laughs> reviewing Sherlin, please. Yes, yes. Please, <laughs> Let's move on to some other news and some big news, Sherlin. You had an exclusive this week about Microsoft's adaptive mouse. Um, you actually traveled to Microsoft's, uh, you know, corporate office uh, last week. I like this. It was a big secret thing, too, because like I, I was like, Sherlyn, <laughs> what are you what are you doing? Where are you going? She's like, don't don't talk about it. Just, shh, shh, hush, shh. hush. Everyone's, everyone's <laughs> going to tell. What, what did you see? And what is the adaptive mouse? I last week flew to Redmond uh, in Washington State. And yeah, definitely. Like, that's why last week you didn't hear from me in part. Uh, and I warned Devendra and Ben. I was like, if y'all mentioned I'm traveling whatsoever, I will have your heads. I went You're to such a paranoid freak sometimes. Yeah, you I went am. really hard. I'm like, sometimes. I don't think anybody really cares. Like, no one's going to scoop you on this so weird Mousterland. <laughs> no one's going to scoop you. I was so scared Verge would be like, why is she flying? Let's stalk her. Like, I just don't know why. Um, but I I want to, like, I went to the campus in uh, Redmond, Washington, and checked out the new adaptive mouse kit, actually. So if you recall, Microsoft in about 2017 launched the Xbox adaptive gaming controller, um, and that was designed to just help people with different, like, disabilities, be able to game at like at, with a with a with a tool that meets their needs, right? So with a mouse, I, an Xbox controller isn't something that non-gamers really pay attention to, but we, with a mouse, I feel like everyone that interacts with a laptop, a PC, would use a mouse, and I feel like or some sort me, of like input interface like that, exactly. Like yeah. Exactly. Like it's sort of a cursor, like, you know, you have an idea what a cursor on a desktop looks like. Right. So the the adaptive mouse at its core is this um, like 20, uh, sorry, two inch square sized uh, device with your typical like left and right mouse click, your scroll wheel in the middle. But it's like a two inch square. It's very low profile. It's not super thick. And on its own already, it's like it's for me, the ergonomic benefit of this is that like you won't have to like use your entire palm to move it around. You can actually push it around with just your fingertips if you want. It's a little like the old Mac hockey puck mouse almost. Like yeah, uh, yeah, smaller. Two, two except yeah. not yeah. awful, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully not awful. Um <laughs> I I mean, like like you said, right? I had the hands on for this and I was able to like use it. I used very little energy, a little very little like muscle strength to move it. And it's good for me because like I have like borderline repetitive stress injury from having like my arm kind of hitched up a little bit from using my mouse already um so there's other things like elbow angle and table height to to you know fix my issue here but i i, I personally was already very interested then 
this mouse thing, the square, is actually like a core that you can slot into other attachments. And Microsoft also launched one called the tail. This tail is it's, uh, when you slot the mouse core in, it would turn it into more of a traditional looking like mouse with a dome with a like a palm rest curvature thing and it's got like a thumb support on the bottom this thumb support is not only removable you can it's also reversible you can flip it to support either your right thumb or your left thumb so like right-handed or left-handed use and i think that that like the fact that this is just one device that depending on your use you just like switch it up how to use it like that's really cool yeah it is smart and it's not othering and that's a big part of accessibility and assistive tech it's that Oftentimes, a assistive tech that is available is either prohibitively priced or it requires a whole different process to go get it. And this doesn't. This is like left-handed, right-handed, and it's not being a disability. But it, the fact that they're not othering the minority group here, I think is like important. I like the, um, uh, the, this uh, case, by the way, like which puts the bottom on the mouse. Um, it looks like the old Surface Arc or the Microsoft Arc mm, mouse, which could fold mm-hmm. flat. And I still have one of those. I travel with those because it's a great, perfect mouse to like move around with. So I like to see at Microsoft like building on the ergonomics they've already like done over the years. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. This one doesn't fold in um, that I know of. So so there's that. But then moving on, the rest of the kit, right? It includes the adaptive hub, which is basically a dongle um, with like support for 3.5 millimeter switch input devices or USB-C. There's three ports on the front there. Then you can actually connect um, the new adaptive button that Microsoft also launched this week uh, via Bluetooth or via USB-C. And then you can program them to perform macros. And... For just the like more mainstream population here, uh, or people who are able-bodied, just having a device to perform macros already feels like smart, right? But then if you think about people with different um, needs to like, for people who don't have the dexterity or have different like limb situations, you might not be able to press a button. Um, you can also pop off the cap on, on or pop off the top of the button, which in its uh, like its default setup is just like an eight directional d-pad um you can pop it off and switch it in for like a what microsoft offers are a dual button so it's two semicircles or there's a joystick so again these are more like user-friendly but for a larger population kind of approach um the the extra component here that would make it more um inclusive or assistive for people with different needs is that they've also partnered with Shapeways to allow people to 3D print any variety of like other attachments here to turn this button into something that suits your needs the most, right? So like one of the toppers I saw was like a Dyson fan shaped joysticky thing, (laughs) which I know you can't really think about how to use it right now, but imagine if you don't like that hole that you can slot your limb through and just push in different directions or you can use that 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 like hole in the middle hang it on something and maybe use like a different part of your body to push it around um there's just different ways for you to interact with the button and i think that that's smart now something that a few people have pointed out either to me or in the video is that the the base of the the button doesn't seem like it is sturdy enough to not move when people are pushing it, right? right like if you're right, pushing right. a joystick that that's very big, you don't want the button to move along with it. I think that's a very good point. I think you'd have to at least weigh down the button or or like give you like a Velcro base or thing. something. Yeah, exactly. Sherlyn, quick so that's question. something. 
Yes, go on. Is this um, like a final product or are we still looking at prototypes here? Oh, so a combination of things. The mouse, the tail, the hub, and the button are final. Um, and by final, I mean like the hardware, I think is more or less good to go. I think they're still finalizing some software side of things. Um, but the colorful parts that if you look at our uh, article or video, um, you'll see those colorful parts are the 3D printed parts that aren't actually going to be available unless you go to Shapeways and order them yourselves, or you can come up with your own design and, and make them. So yeah. it's like, nobody it's has 3d printers though. So hopefully they're, yeah. they're going to make it that more accessible to talk about accessibility. Yeah. Shapeways is know? a whole thing where like, yeah, I think you basically, if you can design it, you can send it to Shapeways, they'll print it and send it to you. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so there, and then the design, the 3d printed parts of it too, is not just for the button. You can also 3d print like different things you want to slot that mouse core into. Um, and you know, Microsoft, went to great lengths to explain to me how like they designed this thing so like the the edges of the mouse core itself are like slightly tapered so that if you slide it into the tail and you insert like a USB-C to charge it a USB-C cord to charge it you can still move the mouse along without that USB-C cord just kind of getting in the way and tripping your that's mouse cool. up that's uh yeah. th- that sounds like good mouse design something uh a major company should think of when putting their freaking charging ports on their mice <laughs> apple <laughs> God. Oh um, my goodness. I love this. Oh do we do we have it? We do we have any we don't have battery life or price yet for this show? Yeah, line? so Anything? unfortunately we don't know until the fall uh, or in the coming months when Microsoft uh makes this available for sale what the price will be or what battery life will be. I tried to ask. I will say they did show me they walked me through how to like ma- map some of these macros and I mapped like an embargo agreement macro. <laughs> I was like <laughs> one button good. push. One push of the button opens. I need to make uh, that a hotkey. Reply window exactly, yeah. and then another push is I agree to the embargo. Please send. And then another here's push sends. Here's email. my shipping address. Yeah. yeah, here's my shipping address. Yeah. Oh my god, so many Let's good ones. Um, so many. So, so many. I good can't ones. wait. I can't wait. This to thing really looks really one. cool. It's really yeah. cool to see Microsoft like doubling down on this because yeah, like the Xbox controller, they not many companies are thinking about this at this level you know like we just wrote up uh logitech's new ergonomic yeah. mouse which is kind yeah. of a cool thing the and that's building one, yeah. the logitech lift which is a cool vertical mouse i tested uh, the mx vertical a couple years ago so it's kind of a smaller version it is cool the companies are thinking about this and i think microsoft and logitech are the best productivity mouse making companies out there like not for gaming mice but for office use and stuff at least they're thinking about it. That's cool. What what else did you see, Sherlyn, over there? I yeah, I think what I was more excited to write about after my time with Microsoft was the our tour of their inclusive tech lab. This is a new dedicated space for um, basically Microsoft to engage the disability community and other members of the tech community, um, and to be like, what can we do? product-wise to make something better for people with different needs, right? And uh, Microsoft has built this as sort of an embassy of sorts for people with disabilities. Um, And I will say, like, after I asked my cousin, who's a paraplegic, to read the article, he was like, oh, wow, I could see myself coming into this space and, like, you know... He, but he says that he does DIY stuff all the time. And you, if you know members of this disability community, you know that DIY is such a part of the life where like you have to make things work for you because they weren't designed to work with you and you always have to like MacGyver it. Um, so anyway, my cousin was like, I do so much DIY stuff. I could see myself like bringing something in here. And, you know, he said he would felt so much better about like whatever he was trying to do if he was doing it in a space like this because 
you would just have like more ways of making it work. Um, so anyway, we we took a tour. You can read the full details on Engadget.com. I don't know if we have the time to go into it here, but this space is very carefully designed to cater to people with different needs. It's like anything from even the surface texture of the floors, the tactile differences between areas to double motorized um, doors that are ADA compliant. So very often um, when you have ADA compliant doors, they only open one door and that is wheelchair width. But if you have a wheelchair and you're also like pulling like a bag or like you have a bulky item with you, then like good luck getting through. Like it's, yeah. So Or if you're in this, a bigger chair, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So this has like a double motorized door entry, which is great. And then there's a sensory area that's visually just very stimulating. And it's, it's um, part of an early... Uh, part of Microsoft's early efforts to get to know what stimulation and neurodiversity have to do with and for each other. Um, so, so there's that too. I, I could go on, but I think are I they not. are they opening this up to the public? Are they inviting people? Like how what is, how is the lab going to work? Do we know? Yeah. So uh, I believe that like it is. Two, two things, right? One is we can look back to how Microsoft has engaged people with the Xbox uh, inclusive tech lab because they did have a space that's about half the size before when they were designing the adaptive controller. Microsoft told me they had like invited things like pe uh, people like uh, designers of inclusive clothing or uh, members of Congress they've invited in to talk about designing inclusive voting booths. So... It feels like that's partly outreach. So I think um, Microsoft has a list of people they want to reach out to, to invite to the space. But also, I believe you can submit a request. I don't have the exact email address uh, to submit a request. I think you might be able to find that on the Microsoft website. But one of the things that the um, the uh, inclusive tech tech lab team members said was, he was like, oh, I think my inbox is just going to be swamped with requests now. So I think that people do have to submit some sort of request to go in. That's cool. I mean, it would be cool if like, yeah, it was open enough for people to pitch ideas. Like, hey, I wish this thing did this or worked like this and Microsoft could actually bring people in and have fun yeah. about a little. That's know? what I think. It's like you you get the like, um, it's technically open to the public, but in the sense that you have to maybe make an appointment. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's yeah. hard to like go to corporate. And they're like out in the middle of nowhere too. Like, yeah. they're not, It's a trip from Seattle to get there. Um, that's really cool. I'm glad you got to do that trip, Sherlyn. Uh, we did uh, a couple of years ago, it was Dana and me, Dana Woolman, our editor in chief. We did uh, a visit to the Surface Design Lab over there. Mm. It's always cool to see like people just dedicated to thinking about this device and like uh, all the pieces that go into it. Yeah. Did they show you the, um, so, so I, I prepared some, like, I took a lot of videos from my time on the campus cause we did a whole day thing. Okay. So like, here's yeah, a bit yeah, of behind yeah, the yeah. scenes They we met them at like 10 AM, 9 30 AM. We arrived. And then we took a tour of the whole campus first because they had decided they were only going to show us the actual goods at like 3 PM or something. So oh. we toured the campus, a lot of trees, a lot of trails. I was so happy. It's my happy place. Tree houses. I'm sure you saw that too, David. Um, and then they took us to like the places that I think are on their tours, right? So like like you said, the Surface Lab, the Xbox area. The um, they took me to this uh, quietest room in the world. It's like yeah, certified anechoic chamber. Chamber. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like um, anechoic chamber. Did you sit in there? Did you sit I in there? I did. I was in there, yeah. and they closed the door, turned off the yeah. lights. It's like yeah. spring floors. It's like this. The quietest room in the world. There's no sound. You feel like you're in a vacuum, basically. You can hear. Um, you can hear your heartbeat. You can hear. Disturbing. <laughs> it's disturbing. It like you can hear blood pumping through your. Yeah. Like you can feel your pulse because there's no other sound. Yeah. Uh, I kind of. 
and you, they like they had to carve out like a space for it within the building. Like, it's separate from other parts of the building. Its walls don't touch things, basically, right? Yeah, and yeah. it's like it's kind of amazing. But- we left our one uh, our former video lead Kyle in there mm-hmm. to shoot some video, <laughs> and he was in there for a couple of minutes. He came out. He was like, just. It was like uh, went through an out of body experience or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You have to be mentally prepared to enter the void. You know. Yeah, we also saw like on their um, advanced their prototyping center. So like there was like a almost like a factory floor with CNC machines, laser like water jet that sort of thing. Uh, We saw all sorts of prototyped like keyboards and Xbox controllers, all of that stuff too. Um, It was just fun, and I do think that Microsoft conducts these tours from time to time for visitors. So it's not just an experience that only I was able to have. So hopefully y'all can actually, uh, yeah, have. Yeah, I wish they opened it up more to more people in general. But yeah, this is cool, Sherlyn. Like, what what else do we have? Do we have to look forward to from the uh, the inclusive tech lab at this point? I, I would say like with this dedicated space and Microsoft's like obvious determination to make this work, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Microsoft really just like lead the way in building inclusive products. I wouldn't be surprised if the next Surface event would have something like that. Um, I also, by the way, want to shout out that the um, one of the inclusive tech lab team members, he like has a like a, a prosthetic hand. And so he's a like a one-handed use case and he had like a surface duo as like his interaction device mostly and uh the way he used it i had never thought of it this way never thought of the duo two this way which is he flipped it so that two of both of the screens were sort of facing out right and he just like had it had it hanging off of his arm with the on one one arm and then with the other hand he was able to control like use it you know and so like you couldn't do that with a smartphone but the dual screen device, you could. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I was also thinking, like, when we were talking about Pixel Watch stuff, I'm like, Google, let's let's go a little hard here. Let's push it. Like, where where's my you know bendable OLED screen that could go all the way around my wrist or something like that? Like, <gasps> we've seen that, but not, yeah, not Google. We've seen that. Yeah, it's not Google and has not worked out so well so far. But that's cool. Glad to hear you had a good trip, Sherlyn. We're going to be hearing more about this uh, inclusive tech lab down the line. Hopefully, I want to see this mouse. Like, I want them. Yes, I hope they can, too. like, release this thing. And uh, let's get our hands on it. I love, you know what, guys? I like Microsoft input devices. And I'm not afraid to say it. And it's because <laughs> they think of things like this. So, down with that. Let's move on to some other news. Uh, R.I.P. iPod? R.I.P. iPod. R.I.P. Apple has announced that they're going to discontinue the iPod Touch um, soon. They're pretty much going to be selling it out. Um, you can get one while supplies last, but this is this is it. This is the last iPod. It's been 20 years of this thing. Nate, you're the like audio nerd and uh, music device nerd. How do you how do you feel about? I this? mean, it's it's clearly inevitable, and we've also had this conversation multiple times. Like first when they discontinued the iPod Classic, which was like kind of the first real sign they're like, oh, we're kind of getting out of this game. And then I think it was 2017 they discontinued all the other iPods except for the Touch, and they haven't updated the Touch in a few years. It still has like a tiny four inch screen. Um, so yeah, very inevitable, very logical, but also like one of those things that makes you stop and sort of like assess like an era, right? Like from mm-hmm. two thousand twenty years, two thousand one, yeah, longer, yeah two thousand one to now. Um, and it, I think for a lot of people like my age, probably within you know give or take five years, the iPod is like a huge thing in that a it was like this transformative music experience, but also. Um, 
a gateway drug into a resurgent apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas and the beginning of the end for the music industry too in a way too right like that that was the end of album sales or cd sales pretty yeah. much yeah because they had cracked the code sherlyn like do you have any first of all first of all i'm not even <laughs> ask where you were when the ipod came out god oh no um, singapore do you have, that's where i was yeah do you have yeah but what great what age <laughs> um do you have any ipod memories yeah at least like the early stuff where like how did, I... how did you approach the ipod I had the one. I don't know the model names. I was young enough to not know the model names. I guess. Um, don't tell I us had how the, young. Don't tell I us. I know. I don't. Yep. I don't remember either. I, I started with the one where you could engrave the back, but I think they all could. Um, with the tiny, like I want to say, two to three inch screen up top, and then the wheel at the bottom, the big wheel. Probably a yeah, Nano, if I had to guess. I probably not. not I, it was. It was the size of an iPhone. I want to say okay. so. So, it was so a full maybe on iPod classic. Then. Yeah, 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 yeah. A full classic. on iPod. Yeah. Yeah, so a full iPod Classic where like you would like drag your thumb around the wheel to kind of like yeah scroll through things. Gosh, gosh, I love that thing. Like I was going, I loved it. I was going from, uh, but no, I love hated it. Let's be clear. I loved uh, my MP3 players. I had so many different ones. I had my Discman. My Discman was one of the first things I bought myself with my own money, and I like love um, from saved up allowance. I wasn't working too young to work anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> After having did you ever have and- did you ever have an MP3 CD player, Shalyn? Like it's a, a CD player that played the MP3s off the discs. She could put like huh? seven hundred songs on. Those it. Yeah. were the shit. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Am I, am no, I, I did not. Breaking your brain right now. Yeah, um, you are. Yeah, that that Whoa. is the late nineties. That was, and I remember actually. I think the first place I saw one is I was watching like uh, screensavers with Leo Laporte or whatever show he was doing at that point, and they brought on one of these things. It was like. I don't have a portable CD player. I was in high school at the time, but I would love to like throw all my like MP3s and MP2s onto a disc because then you'd have hundreds, thousands of songs on like a six hundred because they're just fi- you just put the files on there, so it's you like a the three megabyte, on. five megabyte, you burn, ten oh. megabyte. You burn a CD. You use the storage for the files instead of like the music format. Okay. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's uh, so. Sto- I never. We never had that. Wow. But like, think about the you navigation challenges of trying to get mm-hmm. through like several hundred oh, songs a mess. on a CD. It was a mess. Yeah. Like, yeah. if I wanted a single song, it was a disaster. Awful. But, hey, this is so. We were coming from so, there. We came from the world of Discman to these weird uh, yeah, MP3 yeah, CD players, exactly. which what was like a stop app. Mini disc was never a big thing in America. Although looking back, I oh, really love the dope. design of those things. They're so I cute. Wish, yeah. They're so yeah. cute, but you have to record in real time. So it's like the the usefulness of a digital thing, not there. Then the iPod came out, and there were other MP3 players before. Creative had a bunch. Rio had, I had some. A creative, I had an, yeah. I had an had a iRiver, team, yeah. a little iRiver yeah, stick that was oh, like yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. 128 megabytes. But the, the iPod came out, and it was a big deal. You could store tens of thousands of songs, right? Yeah. Um, very expensive, but also... Very restrictive, right? You could only buy the songs from yes. the no, 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 no. That's yeah. not true. You could put any yeah. kind of rip. No, that is 100%. Yeah, no, you're wrong. right. You're right. Well, no. There was the iTunes, the iTunes app back then was actually, like, you could just drag and drop yeah. things from well, your no, no. files. What, what I mean, what I mean is the iTunes stuff itself was very restrictive. Oh, like if you it bought a song from the store, DRM. then yeah. 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 It was all lockdowns, all DRM. So yeah, if you were lucky enough to have your MP3 library, yeah, you could throw that in there. But the iPod was the beginning of that. That I basically and mm-hmm. hated iTunes so much on the PC. That it is was, where we learned to hate iTunes. Yeah, it's I, so funny yeah, because I, I hate it. my first iPod I got in two thousand and two, and I had a Windows PC at the time, so I had to use some like janky Gasp. music yep. match software. Yep, oh, music I match. Um, <laughs> yep. 
and I still loved it. But then I uh, I got a Mac in 2003. My first laptop was a PowerBook G4. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so much better, which it was at the time. And then that was before iTunes got to be this like bloated monster that did too much. And uh, yeah, on Windows, it was never all that great. But like in the 2000s on a Mac, it was pretty dope. Good for you. I've never had a Mac until I came to America. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that was yeah, way yeah. later in my life. But but I remember before that, too, while we're being nostalgic for a moment, like I just before I got an iPod, I would stock up on blank CDs to burn my music because I had my Discman and art like the just the thinking of all that waste, like that that material so that much has waste. just yeah. My mom has been on a bent to like get rid of all my stuff recently. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> look at all these CDs. I'm like, mom, mom, sentimental value. <laughs> I burned value. a stupid but amount of CDs. Me too. Just oh, so yeah. many. Yeah. And then oh. yeah. Then we just stopped all of a sudden. Remember Buddy CD 305 burners? Love. Anyway. Buddy 305 Love in the chat room points out something I recall. This is what I was thinking about. Uh-huh. Nate. Um, <laughs> the iPod did not take MP3s. You had to transcode them. That's not you true. You to convert That's them. That's not true. You have to transcode I, them to AAC. Dev, 100% not yeah. true. Incorrect. Mm, I, I, I will, I don't know, I will, like, I would bet, you want. I would bet $500 that that is not true. <laughs> you have to convert it, dude. No. Apple iTunes was doing conversion I, for that. I am literally going to go find the spec go, sheet go, right go. now. <laughs> go now. Go now. Maybe you're go talking about it. different models. Maybe no, yeah, maybe no, this is this is 100% inaccurate. It always okay. played straight ahead. I actually trust Nate on this. I trust Nate on this. Yeah. But I, I remember there was a lot of transcoding. Like I no, remember people were just, importing no. their libraries and had to do stuff. No, there was but importing anyway. but no transcoding maybe. I don't know. It's, Let's uh, it's just, anything else that so. is just wrong. <laughs> look at what the Prove iPod it. did to us. Look at Prove what it, it did to us. <laughs> Prove it, Nate. That's uh, that's what I'm saying. Find me, find me the text. Um, but it was it was hard to use, especially if you had a Windows computer. So I basically never I never had an iPod. I was trying all these other things because I was more of a Windows user, and uh, yeah, I didn't have an Apple device until like the iPhone 3GS. That was your I first think. Apple so device. That was my first one. So. Hey, we're not going to change the name podcast. We'll always have that. <laughs> that's going to that's be the name for my pods, if anybody remembers. But we have all these youngins coming in who have no sense of history. Who don't I know did not know struggle, that that was what it was based on. The of struggle that. of digital music. So, you know, RIP iPod. Enjoy the easiness of uh, Spotify now and Apple Music and everything. Nate. Sonos. You had a bunch of, and we're we're going to be running out of time soon. But Nate, you were t- you chatted with Sonos. You took a look at some of their new hardware, the Sonos Ray, which yes. we talked about a leak of that. Uh, I think last week, the Sonos Ray is real. It it's is real. Sonos's most affordable soundbar yet. It's two hundred seventy nine dollars. Uh, how do you feel about this? Because you're the resident Sonos fanboy too. Yeah, uh, I am. But I'll be curious to hear what you think too, because you're more of a home theater guy than I am. Um, my sense is that, uh, well. In the demos we heard, it sounded great, naturally, uh, but I'm not comparing it to anything else at the time, right? So I'm like, okay, it just sounds like a really nice upgrade over, like, your crappy built-in TV speakers. And uh, Sonos said that they're sort of targeting at, they said, like, 9 out of 10 people just use the TV speakers, uh, which Mm -hmm. is, like, a shockingly high number to me. Yeah, and this would be, like, an immediate huge upgrade in a number of ways. Specifically, they, they, they focused on dialogue quality. They focused on uh, bass response. And uh, I don't remember the, I think the third thing they mentioned a lot was like a wider soundstage than you'll get from a TV speaker. So uh, it's not a lot smaller than the Beam, which Davinja reviewed last year, uh, but has a much simpler speaker array. Uh, but nonetheless, like it sounded really nice. And I think 
the the difference here with what Sonos is doing versus what other companies do is like they don't really play in the budget arena, right? Two hundred seventy nine right, dollars right. is still a, yeah. a fair amount of cash, uh, but it's cheap for them. It's it cheap is for like them. that's basically Vizio territory, yes. you know, right. or like mid range Vizio right. territory. Yeah. When, when when all you could buy from them previously was four hundred fifty dollars, this is like a lot more accessible. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people who don't you know know or care about Dolby Atmos, for example, don't care about it not having HDMI arc don't care that it doesn't have a microphone. Uh, I could see that being the case for a lot of people who just like want a better experience. And the good thing about Sonos is that if you wanted, you could later add a sub to get more bass or you could add rear speakers to do surround. So you can like start with a modest, you know, center speaker here and then build it out a bit to get a more impressive setup. Did they talk about the vertical orientation for this thing? Because I remember reading that you could make them rears vertically. Uh, no? That was not a thing that came up. So that's not, is that, that a thing that exists at all? Because that was part of the leak. Yeah, I think that was part of the leak, but I don't believe that it was accurate. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. They don't, they said that would have been far more interesting. Sonos, what are you doing? Oh, um, right. Like you could stand it vertically. Yeah. 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 No, nope, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not a thing. Not a thing? Nope. Mm. Um, that's a shame. Yeah. But it sounds nice. It'll be on sale at the beginning of June. Um, I think for a lot of people who like look at the beam and say, man, $450 is like as much as I spent on my TV, uh, you know, this might make a lot more sense. Sherlyn, I'd say I could see it being good for you. Um, I think so too. It's a lot like the, the Sonos Roam, the portable speaker they released a year ago in that it's not like the cheapest option you can get, but it's nicer than, you know, you're paying more, but you're getting a lot of nice features, all that interconnectivity of the Sonos system. They really do a lot of focus on audio quality. So I think it's, you know, it'll certainly sound better than say like the, the uh, like Roku sound, uh, sound bars, that sort of or thing. the, or the Vizios, like the comparable Vizios too. And you get, you get the usual Sonos stuff too. So you, you can build out Sonos ecosystem. You get uh, Spotify connect supports this now it supports airplay. So that's all, that's all super cool. Um, I'd recommend this to you, Sherlyn, or anybody looking for like an easy, easy soundbar to go into. Although a lot of videos are have Spotify now too. So it's like you can go cheaper and like just deal deal with like a hit in terms of like network compatibility and stuff. Uh Sonos is good though. I love Sonos. I don't know. Yeah, put I mean one, you can put put the small one in your bathroom or something. You get some shower tunes. Love doing that. Love shower tunes. Um rewind uh yeah Nate, you're, you're right you're right about the ipod <laughs> dang there was there was something there was something they the there, apple there was a lot of transcoding apple yeah. sold aac files yes but, i remember apple selling aac files yeah, but could look, you rip into mp3 from itunes yes okay i think okay. yeah for a while there itunes was doing some ripping i remember that it always well, has i still have it always i still have a 2009 yeah. powerbook that or a uh, macbook that still works you can, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm eventually going to take I all my old get, CDs and rip them and finally absolutely. get rid of them. Yeah, I need to get like an external. I have like a. I still have like a Blu-ray burner. One of those oh things. Or, oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I have one of those things around, and uh, I need. I need to rip some Blu-rays, guys. Like, this reminds me of a lot of things. Uh, Sonus is also doing a voice assistant. Yeah. So. The deal with that is that it's going to work on, well, for starters, it's going to work on any speaker they've ever sold that has a microphone, they say, which is nice uh, compatibility. They're going back to, you know, products from 2017. So uh, good on them for supporting as much of their hardware as they can. Uh, It's only for controlling music and controlling your Sonos system. So it's not comparable to Alexa or Google Assistant in that regard. But what I will say is it's super fast, at least from the demos that they showed us. Like it was super responsive. You'd ask it for something and it would just immediately start playing. Um, it's doing all the processing 
on device. So nothing is getting sent to the cloud. Nothing is getting sent to Sonos. So from a private privacy perspective, that's a win. Um, so can it, it play from any music service? It can play from it? right now. For starters, it works with Apple Music, Amazon Music, Deezer, and Pandora. So Spotify, no you, Spotify, you know yes! Spotify, no YouTube Music. But you've got to figure they're going to get it on there eventually. Yeah. Um, as they they are very platform agnostic. What, what does right? this thing sound like, by the way? Oh, when it talks back to you, it's the voice of Giancarlo Esposito. What? Giancarlo Esposito? You guys didn't Gus read Fring? this in my... Gus yes. Fring? No, I, I'm I'm leading up some tension in this piece for you, Nate. <laughs> I'm trying to build you up. Uh, but uh, Gus Fring yeah. himself? Yeah, it sounds good. Um, in your, in your, he has a good voice. Yeah, so he does have a good I, voice. Yeah, sure. uh, it was interesting. There was definitely questions from people like, why didn't you go with like, how did you choose a, you know an identifiable name like him versus like a generic voice? Um, and they're like, yeah, we tried every, you know, we tried all sorts of different things, but we just wanted something that had like, a nice, like, warm personality, like a well-known voice that's not, like, uh, you know, not too well-known. I guess is what I would say is like, you know, you'll it's a good voice, yeah, you'll you recognize know. it for sure. Uh, but mm-hmm. you won't necessarily. Is he is he doing like DJ voice or is he just doing? It's like, very normal straight, like normal, yeah. Um, but the voice assistant doesn't talk back to you that much actually, because usually you're saying like, "Hey, play this song," and it just starts playing. Turn up the volume, turn on the volume, skip. Etc. There's no need for it to respond, so they're not filling space with lots of like unnecessary like confirmation cues, which is nice. But if you say like, "Oh, um, you know, what song am I listening to?" Then Gus Fring is like, "Hey, yes, you're listening to the new Carly Rae Jepsen or whatever," which is pretty great. <laughs> you know, you know uh, whose voice okay. I want as a voice assistant? Mm-hmm. Ace John Benjamin. <laughs> I mean, sure, we Archer. want his voice and everything. Yeah, Archer, Archer. Bob's from Bar- Bob's, Bob's yep. Burgers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love. I mean, I love his voice. Yeah, and they said they're going to add more voices as they move into more regions and, and possibly also for the U.S. Um, no word on if it will be uh, more actors or you know some computer generated voices or whatnot. But that's um, cool. Yeah, more it, actors would be fun. That was always fun. like the the promise with like ways and stuff too. Like uh, right, they a whole added bunch of the- actors. Yeah. And then they disappear, right? Like you have it for a while and it disappears. I feel like they're somebody needs to like fully digitize an actor's voice, which is possible now. We're kind of getting there and just like make that make that a fully computerized thing. That'd be kind of cool. Um Trillin, you could totally get the ray and uh, one of the new roams in a in a new color. Yeah. You know. And then you can have like synchronized music yep. across your bathroom and living room. Uh, I really like the uh, the Sonos Room, yeah. so I have one of those for the backyard. So, like when we're doing barbecues, I yeah. can play music in the house and like bring that outside. Although, part of me wants to go full Sonos Move. So that thing is see. the big boy. Yeah, it's so big. It's, it's so, so big. big. It's so beautiful. Uh, thank you for the Sonos update, Nate. Uh, a quick quick run through of a couple other gadgets. Sony announced the Xperia One, Mark Xperia four. One Mark Four, Four yep. Mark yep. Four. Yeah, but I, I hate That's Sony not names. Confusing at all. I know. Uh, I know. Sony names every every time. Uh, this is a super powered uh, Android phone. Yep, yep. That is all about uh, having a kick ass camera. Basically, that's what it seems. It can shoot 4K 120 FPS. Um, it has a built in telephoto zoom for 85 to 125 millimeter equivalent zoom range. That's pretty wild for a thing like this. Um, this looks more interesting than any Sony Xperia we've seen in a very long time. Like, do you have thoughts on this, Sherlyn? Well, Sony's been doing this thing with mm-hmm, their Xperia mm-hmm. 1 or Xperia phones for a long time, where it's just going more and more hard into the, like, vlogging space, right? So right, this is really, right. like, not only can it shoot... Um, 4K at 120 FPS too. Uh, Sony's also promising like a really good gaming experience. There's a 120 hertz screen here. You've got like 
um, 21 point uh, 21 by 9 OLED screen 6.5 inch and then also 240 hertz touch scanning rate so like they're like yeah gaming I'm like cool but as with a lot of these Xperia phones $1600 what sure <laughs> what what is what does an iPhone Pro cost you know what does a Pro Max cost that is that well, is your your yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're you're kind of at that level. This is like yeah. a very specific enthusiast level thing. You can also use it as an external display for some Sony cameras. Like I, okay, I have that's pretty cool. I have weird gadget love for Sony's <laughs> cameras. I have uh, an A7C next to me, which is the the full frame, the compact full frame. I love their lenses. Um, I think the real question is like, do these lenses? Because these are Carl Zeiss lenses on uh on these like right on the phone. Does it actually make a difference compared to to the iPhone or to right. a typical Android phone? Is this you know? is the sensor size su- such that it can recognize the differences mm-hmm. between these lenses? So I mean, Sony makes the sensors for everybody, right. so I yeah. feel like they should have the the leg up here. But that historically has not been true, right? Like we we've never really loved these phones. This one seems interesting, they- though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Sony has had like a decent photography experience. I haven't reviewed an Xperia phone in a long time, so I couldn't tell you like what the recent uh, camera performance has been like. But I, I, I think they're going hard on this for a reason. I think their video performance is probably one of the better ones out there. And then I'm not sure if on image because of like other um, companies like Apple and Google doing so much on computational photography that whether like Sony has an advantage there, but. All told, I think on video side, Sony will have that advantage. And if you're the person, the type of person that wants to spend a lot of money on a video um, camera or like a very, very like powerful at video phone, Sony is one of the brands out there that people rave about. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, Sony, Sony's a good brand. I have I have a lot of problems with them. I wrote a piece about like, will they ever get back to their like glory days? And Sony corporate <gasps> yeah. was very pissed off about that. So, okay. When you write something that makes the company call you the next day, um, you're doing something either, either right. a complete failure or a success. I don't know, everybody. Uh, but this phone seems cool. Um, Buddy three hundred five love points yeah. out that it has a headphone jack, which is pretty dope. It does have a headphone oh, jack. I mean, so, Sony knows what's up. Sony yes. will. I feel like they will be the last company still building phones with headphone jacks after a certain point. Good, Good on you, Sony. Um, Really want to quickly shout out, uh, Intel announced some new 12th generation HX chips that are going to be coming to laptops. And these are just really interesting because uh, these are the first 16 core uh, laptop CPUs we've ever seen. Um, these are based on Intel's new hybrid processor too, or hybrid design. So it has eight performance cores and eight efficient cores. Those efficient cores are about as powerful as like the 10th gen Intel chips uh, to give you some perspective there. Uh, big boys. These are big boys. Uh, huge they watt run draw, right. <laughs> huge watt draw. Uh, base watt draw TDP thermal dynamic profile of fifty five watts. They can boost all the way up to one hundred fifty seven watts, which is at that point is basically a desktop. So <laughs> we'll get like twenty like minutes a, of battery life. A small <laughs> gaming desktop. So Intel's really aiming for performance here. These things are made for people who do a lot of rendering, and judging from the graphs they gave us, like it's like a minuscule amount of a performance lead over the twelve nine hundred HK, which is the like uh, the previous chip. I think that was what fourteen cores. Um, you know, slight bumped. I think for some people, this this will be an advantage. Uh, certainly not the sort of thing where they're going to be talking about battery life because battery life is going to be a disaster. So. <laughs> 
there is that. So, you know, th- those are cool. You, Keep you an eye for get, those. You think you'll get a laptop to review with one of those at some point soon? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah the, those bad boys are coming in soon. So I know Sam Rutherford just reviewed the Razer Blade. Uh, we will likely have some systems in from uh, Acer soon and maybe some other companies. So we're going to do what we can. I like to take a look, especially before the as we get through the summer, because we have to prep the back-to-school stuff. So it's good right. to be ready for those things. Yep. We shall see, folks. But uh, big Big hot processors. I really wonder how hot. It's uh, yep. so hot. Uh, hot I really wonder how AMD is going to react, right? Because the Ryzen 6000 line has been super successful, but these new 12th gen chips from Intel were really surprising to us in terms of like how fast they have been in general. So to go even hotter and harder is pretty wild. Um, yeah, hopefully this works out for Intel. Let's shout out a couple stories from Engadget uh, that are worth reading, folks. Like some big stuff. Uh, James True. Editor at large, James Strew, who is just stalking us in the bushes. <laughs> He's at large. Uh, he wrote a piece about how Gen Z is pushing t- NES Tetris to its limits. That's pretty cool. Love this. Love it. Yeah, it was really cool. I want to talk about Sam's USB-C AirPods story. Sam actually Go like Go ahead. was yeah, able wow, to... We just really glossed right over that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, Dude, I Charlene, thought you guys Charlene were done. does not know what an NES is. She doesn't I don't know, know what an NES what is. What Tetris enough. is. I know what Tetris like, is. What, what is all this ancient stuff? Anyway, that check no, out no, that piece from James. Yeah. Check out that piece from James. That's oh, fine. That's fine. It's good. <laughs> it's some good photography, and he did a video of it, too. And Yeah, no, that was a great video, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I my enjoyed the story, I think, yeah. Yeah, my Tetris memories are more Game Boy because that's where that game really took off. But uh, really, it's really interesting to see how retro hardware is, is still sticking around. And it's cool. It's and a, more more classic CRTs too, for right? For me, it's like the the part of, of uh, eSports that's interesting to me is like, I know like there's like a lot of like big, big eSports things, but I like this kind of more obscure, uh, you know, really unusual sort of like old games, old hardware sort of thing. That's what caught it for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's let's move on to the other story because yeah, yeah Sam Rutherford wrote up uh, a new like hack, a USB-C hack from uh, engineer Ken Pillanel. Uh He made the first iPhone with a USB-C port a while ago, and now he has introduced an AirPods case with USB-C, which you know maybe is a little less exciting to me. But okay, what do you? <laughs> well, what do you think, I I just want to say that the backstory here is interesting for yeah, me because it's like cool. it's more like it's more like Sam has like had developed a relationship with this one source and was like um, after the USB C iPhone, uh, Sam had reached out to confirm some facts and stuff like that. And so like this person then afterwards reached out and was like, hey, you know, I made a this. AirPods, because he wants to charge all of his devices with USB-C, which sure. I can identify. Like, I agree. Sure. So anyway, and that's why, like, he made all of his Apple devices, like, USB-C chargeable, including the AirPods. So anyway, that's a little backstory around this uh, article. Feel, obviously, go to Engadget.com to read it. Very cool. That, that is a good story. And I think yeah, we had a good in-depth piece on that, too. So really, really dig that. And uh, what else? What else? Uh, I mean, I think that's seven. I that's don't know. I don't yeah. know what that is. What is Rune? Okay, so the so also something else that Sam did was uh, go hands on with Lenovo's new Legion Seven uh, gaming laptops. Ah, ha, ha. Um, he did a hands on an article. I just threw in a comment from our YouTube. Uh, audience members in there uh, about how they thought it was. Oh, yes. So, Rundick yeah. is a listener. Thank you, Rundick. Uh, I just saw text pasted in there. I'm like, what are you doing, Sherlin? But yeah, the Legion 7 was, uh, that was cool. Intriguing was gaming super, laptop. Super cool. 
normally we talk about what we're working on, but I think we're all tired. <laughs> Trillin, you're going to be off next week. Uh, Nate, nice. anything you want to mention? Anything uh, you're working on? I am on? pretty much, you know, now that IO and Sonos are done, my plate is fairly clear. So I'm going <laughs> to. Oh, so you can cover me. Catch up on, yeah, catch up on news, cover <laughs> all for Trillin. Trillin's news shifts, you know. <laughs> Something like that. I mean, actually, my news are slow. I will say yeah, that. Um, I mean, probably we will have a review of the race soon. Uh, so oh, nice. keep an eye out for that. Very nice. Let's move on to our pop culture picks. And mm-hmm. I want to start with you, Shalyn, because I feel like you always have a secret for us. So what is yeah. this week? All right. I wanted to write about this one, but we don't write about shows that we watch on our own very much anymore. I didn't have time. Anyway, I've been watching this new horror TV series called The Terror on Hulu. Dev, have you heard anything about this? Yeah. Okay. I've heard you... a lot about The Terror. It's a, it's a things... show I want to watch. I've heard okay. good things, but also from it is like a slow paced horror show. It's not like, yes, you know, it, I... it's not like a big horror movie yeah i have loved it so so i wasn't expecting to i when i watched it it was like on hulu the season which the show uh, which season are you watching i watched both every season. okay both the the two and dev is right to point it out because th- both seasons are just different stories right it's almost an anthology except that there's only been two stories so far so i'm like it's not really you're not going to call it an anthology but i was drawn in by the description of the second season which is about um s- some supernatural happenings at a japanese internment camp during the second world war um but then when i started to watch it i actually started with the first season because streamers can't get their stuff right um and that's actually a story about this lost arctic expedition on board two ships the hms erebus and the hms terror um and that was based on a book by dan simmons called the terror which you know named after the boat named after the bay they were lost in um and it's just Oh, it's so atmospheric. It's <laughs> so depressing in a in we'll a We'll just get like uh sounds from you for horror reviews like ah, Yeah. Ooh, it's so great. It's uh it's 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 about like it's about like just imagine being stuck in the Arctic and something like some supernatural creature is stalking your crew and then also you're running out of food. Also everything is poison. Also like there's Inuit people around that some people are racist about too on the mm-hmm, boat. Mm-hmm. So then course, also people, yeah. when people run out of food, you know what they start doing. So anyway, the, if you're not big on graphic scenes, I would skip uh-huh. the like last two episodes <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of that's, the first season. <laughs> that's entirely why uh, you'd be watching it. Be have you seen it. Yellow Jackets yet, Trillin? I have not. I feel um, like you would be really into Yellow Jackets. Yeah, I, really I think I will. I think I will. I should start it's that. A, but I, yeah. It is both a good drama, but also like kind of scary horror and also really gruesome at times, like inexplicably. So kind of your okay. your, your trifecta. Of Are you I, into gore, Sherlyn? You like that stuff? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. yes, I have enjoyed the Saw series extremely. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> so there you go. I, I want to close with like a thought on the mm-hmm. terror, which is that yes. not only does it do horror well, it does some of this social commentary stuff quite well too, where like the se- second season has George Takei in it. Also Naoko Mori, who I love from Torchwood. Oh, also, sp- yeah. yeah, she's amazing. Speaking of Torchwood, um, uh, Jared Harris is in the first season also mm-hmm. from Torchwood mm-hmm. not Torchwood Fringe mm-hmm. Fringe he's from Fringe. Um, from Fringe I don't know why I'm hearing noise in the background I'm hearing I think noise this freaky our, our live stream <laughs> been is trying getting a little haunted us. right now <laughs> the thing about the second season is it's based on like Japanese American stories stories of Japanese American people forced into internment camps during the second world war out of pure racism George Takei himself his family five, did five yeah. 
at yeah. the age of five years old was taken to one of these camps and he like lent a lot of input on how to like portray this in the show and and it's just like it's so eye-opening and also a lot of the cast members themselves i have to shout this out i read an interview with the showrunner where they said alexander who said like it was harder to make sure everyone was cast ethnically accurately, but they yeah, did it yeah. anyway. And Good. I was so grateful for that. But everyone in there spoke fluent Japanese. Everyone in there was like, you you can't do a story like that and throw in a Korean actor and be like, you're Japanese now. No. Setting aside Asia's complicated relationship with Japan for a yes. second. <laughs> yes. Okay. I just appreciate that the dedication to like accurately portraying what went on. Love it. Anyway, Love that's it. that's my little George, George Takei did a stage show too about his like experience at the at the internment camps. Uh, so maybe maybe he'll run that again at some point. But love him. And every time I read about like what what this country did to Japanese people, uh, it makes my blood boil. It's uh, not great. But speaking of uh, Asia's uh, you know, difficult relationship with Japan sometimes, mm. uh, I want to ask, Sherlyn, did you see Pachinko yet? Because I not yet. I saw you recommended week. it last I episode. Gonna yeah. show oh, that, I was going to shout that out, actually, too. Yeah. Um, okay. So okay. Good. Have you seen it, Nate? Go I'm ahead. I'm only halfway through. Um, okay. So I should watch it? Okay. Yeah. Cool. What do you what do you think, Nate? Because I, w- I was going to go to you next. For okay. Stuff. Well, that wasn't that wasn't going to be my my full pick but i will just say that i would echo the recommendation i'm like halfway through it and i love it uh it seems okay extremely well done i don't know um how much it compares to the book in terms of getting all that stuff right but um like, i know there was some concern from some people who really like the book that the i believe the author is not involved in the show but no she's involved in the show is she okay i yeah. take it back yeah um i thought she, that. she's like directly like helping to put things together oh too, great so yeah. okay well i guess i read that wrong um, I don't know. Yeah, it's awesome. as, as far as I know, she is. But uh, this show is also, they just announced a season two. So I finished the season. It's incredible. It is a really, really uh, epic look at a single family, you know, uh, starting with a Japanese and a Japanese occupation of Korea to that family. I, mean, I know that story very well, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. But yes, yep. Off. To that family immigrating to Japan to the grandson of the original, like, folk featured daughter uh, being in America. So it's like a genre spanning thing. Really, really interesting and incredibly well made. Just melodramatic, but also I think some great, great television. What else did you want to mention, Nate? So this is a super random one. I uh, want to shout out the Lego Back to the Future DeLorean, <laughs> <laughs> which I got for my birthday. Oh, pick. Yes, it is. It's pop culture. I would say if you've ever liked Back to the Future and want to have a good time, get the Lego DeLorean. It's really, Nate really fun. failed the assignment. He's never coming back on the show. I disagree. I think chat will agree with me, too, that this is a wonderful did you, pick. So did you, how long did it take you to put together? Um, I probably did it in about like four sessions that spanned, mm-hmm. you know, an hour or two each time. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it was surprisingly complicated. It's got like a really like cool... Uh, Thing at the bottom where you can like flip the wheels to go uh-huh. from flying mode to non-flying that's mode. that's cool and, like love it under the hood there's all this yeah crazy stuff in terms of like how it like comes together it was uh yeah it was a lot of fun it was very nice kind of chill uh way to pass some time ben is asking if it has a little flux capacitor piece it does and it lights up there's a bit there's a battery built into it so Aww. you can light it up uh you can also convert it um to like each of the movies like different iterations so like on the first one you can get the hook in the back and like the plutonium chamber. It's got Mr. Fusion. It's got the circuits for the third movie. It's really good. Um, yeah. Lego Love does it. such really good detail stuff. Um, I, yeah. I wish I, I wish I had time to 
to build those things. Because well, right now, my Lego life is whatever my daughter wants to build. Yeah. And I have to. I mean, that's fun. She's created a whole town nice. on her play I love table. That. How uh, old is she? It's fun. She's three and a half years nice. old now. So yep. big into building and big into the Legos. I want to quickly shout out uh, two movies. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which I think is one of the best movies I've ever seen. My favorite movie of the year. A truly astounding masterpiece from the Daniels, Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Um, Sherlyn, have you seen this movie yet? Mm-mm, what's it what, about? What, what, it what are you doing? Familiar. What do you? What do you? What? It's a big. Are you working, Devendra? Some of us what? have work to do. No, what are you doing? It's been out for several weeks. Michelle Yeoh, the first movie fully starring Michelle Yeoh in like oh, forever. Shit. So yeah, I figured you would have heard about it. Yeah, uh, you, you told me you were a Michelle Yeoh fan. Anyway, it's about um, a Chinese immigrant family. In America, the mother is uh, basically the parents are going through some a lot of like difficulties, and it's hard to it's hard to describe what this movie is. It, they go on an adventure that kind of uh, spans multiple universes. It Ooh. gives Michelle Yeoh time to fight, of course, because she is sort of like a she's the owner of a laundromat, but she can tap into her other universe selves and get all those skills. It is sensate. wild. It's funny. Um, it's very sensate, actually. Um, it's really funny, zany. Like you will, you will not be able to predict where this movie goes. But also one of the most like moving and heartfelt movies I've seen in a long time. Like it has everything. Uh, it really is everything everywhere, everywhere all, at all at once. Uh, <laughs> I love. I like the Daniels a lot. Um, more for like their other work. Uh, ben, our producer, had recently linked uh, the turn up for what video thing, and I forgot. I forgot that they did that video. And that the the wildness of that video is essentially in this movie. I did not like their movie, the last one they did, Swiss Army Man, too much. But I thought it was really, really inventive. That was the one with the Daniel Radcliffe corpse. Um, but this movie, this movie is okay. perfect. I'm convinced. And also uh, co-stars, uh, Ki Hoi Kwan, who was short round in Indiana Jones. Like, just really, really bringing him back into the world. So, love that. And... Every year for uh, the film cast, my movie podcast, I do a top 10 list of, uh, of what I've seen over the year. This will be my number one. And I, it's going to take a lot to like really off to like, yeah, offset that. I also want to shout out Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness, which I'm do sure you're going to see spoil all of it. Uh, it involves multiverses, just like everything everywhere. This movie is so much fun. I loved it. I loved it. Go check out my review at the film cast. Uh, Sam Raimi is back, baby uh, in full, like, action movie comic movie like gleeful fun mode um it's also like partially a horror movie at times too yes. so i think you'll appreciate that sherlyn yes uh, it's real good it's real good because i've become so tired of a lot of the marvel stuff lately um this feels like a breath of fresh air love it um yeah check out my full review at the film cast folks i think that's it you can wrap it sherlyn And that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Nate online at... At Nate Ingram on Twitter. And you can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter and at the Filmcast uh, Movie Review Podcast. If you want to send me your requests for the Inclusive Tech Lab, and I'll see if Microsoft will include them, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Sherlyn, though. Email us your thoughts at podcast.engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. What up, B-word?